Well, it's good to be with you uh, this morning, church, as we uh, continue um, in this journey of Lent. It's getting hot outside, and people are, like, going outside and stuff. That's weird, right? Uh, And somebody had the heat up to 72 degrees this morning. I'm going to melt up here. And Pastor Stephanie was reading 14 verses from her scripture today. It was good, but I was sweating, right, already. Uh, But it's good to be with you um, today. As I was thinking about uh, this sermon, I was reminded um, of the reason I like to teach um, teenagers or or fifth and sixth graders and and up through um, high school is because, uh, number one, especially when they're younger, um, they can't control their reaction, their faces. And so that's super fun, right? Uh, And then number two, they usually, if there's a spunky one in the group, they say what they're thinking, right? And so it's always interesting when you teach the ways of Jesus. Jesus um, to, to people that, that can't control their faces and they say um, what, they, what they think. And so I've got a couple uh, different stories, but uh, this last week, actually, and, um, I, I'm, I've had the opportunity to teach the fifth and sixth grade uh, class, and um, we've been talking about a lot of different things from uh, justification to, to regeneration is what we talked about this last week, this idea that um, God changes our heart and, and leads us down these paths that lead to restoration and, and incredible things. Things happen on this journey, um, and so we were talking about how uh, Jesus changes us from the inside out, right? Change our heart first, and like if you really think about it, from the eyes of 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 a, of a, of a young person, that that's weird. Like, what's that mean, right? Like, uh, what is that? What's that exactly mean? And so I usually try to ask these like clarifying questions, like, "How you doing? Does this make sense?" And you can tell instantly, no, absolutely not. Right, and so we did our whole little thing, and we we asked the 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 question, um, what's it mean to be changed from the inside out first, and and that led us down a rabbit trail, and and finally, like I was just like desperate for some image to help communicate. I tried three or four different ways, and so I pulled up a picture, and I don't have a picture for you today, of this guy named uh, Brian Head. He was the the lead singer for a band named Corn. Don't look that up when you go home. Right, but um, but he uh, came into an incredible intersection where uh, he was he was uh, he intersected with Christ, right? Um, where he was confronted by God's love for him and and completely um, changed from the inside out, like turned down twenty three million dollar contracts to to follow Jesus. Um, because that's where God was calling him at, at that moment. And, uh, and just so you know, I'll just give you an idea, Brian Head does not look like a church person, <laughs> right? And so I asked the question, I held my little phone with the picture and said, does this guy look like, it, like, a, like a church person, like someone who's been saved? Because that's where we're going. And the looks, like, no, like, absolutely not. Like, you're crazy, right? Uh, but we continued to talk about how he, he was changed from the inside out. That it's not about the, the churchy clothes that we wear or how well-kept that we are, but God changes our heart and moves us down this path. And, and the, the looks that were confused begin to not look so confused anymore. But it takes a little bit. Because we learn time and time again that the way of God is different than the way of the world. A lesson that I continue to learn after uh, you know hours and hours of education and smart people talking about this and about that. Uh, something that we continue to learn throughout our life that the way of God is different than the way of the world. 
And so as we continue in this uh, Lenten season, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be in Mark this morning, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Uh, in, this, in this account uh, of Mark, um, there's a definite reminder that the way of God is different than the way uh, of the world. But um, as we get there, a little bit of background of what's happened before this. Jesus has fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and some fish. He's healed a blind man, and then Peter's come out and kind of declared what everybody is thinking, that Jesus is the Messiah, right? So it's a pretty um, a high mountaintop moment for Jesus and for these disciples. Well, more so for the disciples, right? They've seen Jesus do these incredible miracles, feeding people, healing the blind man, and then Peter helps us. Uh, Peter speaks for the group and says, well, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And so Jesus sees that as a teachable moment because Jesus always sees the teachable moments. And so uh, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Church, hear the word of the Lord this morning. It says this. He, Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when it comes in, in, in his Father's glory with the Holy Angels. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Tough, tough words. Again, a reminder that the way of God is not the way of the world. We're reminded of Isaiah chapter 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Well, as we, as we read these things and as we look at this account and from others, we know that without a doubt, it takes, there's a little bit of processing time. It takes the disciples a little bit of, of learning, a learning gap to finally get what Jesus is getting to. In some situations, they don't at all, right? Um, that may be like you. I know it's definitely like me that there needs to be some uh, times of reiteration, that these interactions with Jesus are, are the start of, of journeys that we go on as, as people. And as we begin, continue to, to go down that journey, we learn more and more. I find that, myself included, that we're so comfortable um, with this story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection that it just becomes, becomes normal. I was talking to Steph the other day because I totally like went rogue and do, did not do the, the passage that we had agreed on, right? And so I, told, I even told Steph, it's the same story. 
right? Like we tell the same story every year. But we, we, we get into this pattern of thinking that, that, that even in this verse, that this is just Jesus warning of them about how things will go down and they won't remember, but he was nice for trying, right? And, and, and he, he lets this go on with our day and we should have Taco John's for lunch today, right? Like we get in this, this groove that it's just, it's normal, but we have to remember for these disciples, it's really not normal, right? They're on this mountaintop experience with Jesus. They've, they've just watched him and witnessed him with, with this miracle of feeding all these people, right? Like this is before the land of McDonald's. Like this is crazy. He feeds all these people and then they move on. He heals this blind man. And then Peter declares that he's the Messiah. He says what everybody's thinking. They're in this place of great hope. We've got to remember that they've been waiting for this. Like this is the stories that they've heard long ago that this is the Messiah and he will free them from the oppressors. And they felt that oppression on a daily basis. And so when Peter declares that, that Jesus is the Messiah, I'm going to guess that they had one of those great light bulb moments of life. I love those light bulb moments where everything like connects, right? Like, oh, I'm sure there's a slow one amidst the disciples, right? I would be that slow one. Like, oh, like that's it. Like that's, yes, like he is the Messiah. Like, yes, like that's why he's got all this influence with these people and why, why people are following us more and more each and every day. That's why he can multiply those loaves of bread. Like, yeah, right? Like you just said what I, was, what I felt, but now I've, I've got words to it. And those are, are, are good, good times. Like they are so excited about this Jesus, this idea that the best is yet to come, right? Like if the, if the fishies were there and the, and the meal was there and the blind man is healed and, and, and now we've declared that there's even more to come. Like the best is yet to come. That's like a Pinterest quote, right? Like we're super excited about this. We're all there and we're all in. And it would be completely under, understandable to see how, how, how Jesus would be, be seen as this, this powerhouse, right? That he was going to make things happen. He was a game changer. And I'm sure they had this feeling of pride, right? Like, oh yeah, baby, I'm on the right team, right? Like, I got in on the ground level. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. So they head down this road. They're here and Jesus finds this teachable moment to remind them and things are upside down now. This news was over the top for them. It was, it was seemingly too much, right? Too much, too fast. They've just come on, on this place and it seems that they're, they're heading down off the mountain very, very quickly. That the way of God is different than the way of the world. I can imagine that that confidence that puffed them up before, that they're on the right team, came into question. That the oh yeah turned into oh no. Right? What in the world is this guy talking about? That Jesus speaks of his suffering, his rejection, and his death, and talk about a 100% party crasher. Like, this is possibly the worst thing that the, the, the disciples could have heard in this moment. Like, they are, they are completely confused. This is, this is weird. 
Something is going on here. This is not fun. Like all those hopes and expectations, all the paths forward that they had envisioned, that their, their imaginations have come up with, are now derailed. They had no imagination to see what Jesus is talking about as being good, right? Like, how, how is that good? You're going you're gonna to suffer. You're going to be rejected. You're going to die. And I'm so confused by that part that I didn't even hear the part about you're going to rise again. I don't even know what that means. What's that, what's that look like? I, they're in this place where nothing forward from that looks good. It's not a good place to be. Right? They're stopped dead in their tracks. I know that when I've come to this place in life, things get a little desperate. Do they for you? They get a little bit desperate. And we say that we'll follow Jesus everywhere and anywhere in moments of surrender. But when it comes to situations like this, we're a little bit more hesitant. We're a little bit more, more cautious. I'm, I'm supposed to do what? Like, that's not what I signed up for. Pretty sure that wasn't in the game plan. Right? I can't do that. That's, that's not what I imagined. That's just too much. And then Peter, the one that's always impulsive, right, that, that says the things that other people are thinking, we're thankful for people like that. He's determined that his night and the disciples' night will not be ruined by the talk of that Jesus is giving. That we're going we're gonna to take care of this. Like, this is crazy. Well, what's, well, what's going on here? And so he takes Jesus aside, remind you, the Son of God, and he begins to rebuke him, begins to set him straight so that their evening could go on without this problem. And wouldn't you know, like to know what that conversation was like? Mark doesn't tell us what it's like. I wish he, he did. But Peter sees, without a doubt, the contradiction between what he has imagined. Right? Peter sees the contradiction between Messiah and suffering. Peter sees the contradiction between Messiah, the Savior, and rejection. Messiah and death. Right? There's, there's contradiction there. It just doesn't add up. And so he's, he's gone to set it right with Jesus. He cannot imagine that this will happen. He can't see forward. All he hears is, is just awful and unthinkable words for, from, from Jesus' mouth. That the hope of, of Israel will experience is suffering, rejection, and death, and then, I guess, life, if you can get through all that. So he doesn't keep quiet. We know the outcome of that. So we don't know the words, but we can use our imaginations, right? That it did not go well for Peter. Uh, in this uh, attempt to rebuke. I imagine if they, if they did get off to the side, that it was just this confused rambling and recalling of all the amazing things and all the power that Jesus had that, and all this desire to restore the kingdom of Israel to its previous glory and, and, and on and on again. Uh, like all that we can imagine, all the hopeful stuff that we have in our brains in, in good times came out right there. Like, really, we're, we're going this way. Why are you, you going that way? We read what happened that Peter thought that he was going to be the one doing the rebuking, but in turn, he gets rebuked. And I don't know about you, but I hate it when that happens. 
absolutely hate it. Like, that is the worst thing ever. I get all geared up. I'll even take notes sometimes of my argument because it's good, right? I know this puzzle piece, and I know this puzzle piece, and I know this puzzle piece. And when you add them all up, it equals this. And this is what we should do, and this is what you should not do, and this is why, right? And you've got it all prepared, and you're ready to go. You've been thinking over it in your mind, and you're ready just to let it out of your mouth, to spit it up, right? And you're in that place, and then the person that you're telling gives a detail that you didn't know. A puzzle piece that you hadn't thought of. Uh, something that, that, that just wasn't a part of your equation. And then you look dumb. Right? And there's that feeling of shame and rejection. And, and, and then if you're like me, you just vocalize that you're an idiot. You apologize profusely. And you move on, hopefully. Right? He's in that, this place where he's got this argument. And, and he's there. And, and he's missing something. Verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciple, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The missing piece that Jesus lets him know in a very firm way, by the way, it did a lot to recover from that, that his view and his outlook and his argument and his seeing forward is a human way of thinking. And it is not right. He does not see the whole picture. He cannot see the whole picture. The way of God is different than the way of the world. And so Jesus rebukes Peter and he continues his teaching, which is exactly what Jesus always does. He continues his teaching, but now he calls the crowd over. There's people that have been following him. In fact, there are multiple instances where where the crowds would just gather and, and go from place to place. They've been following him. So at this point, when when Peter's rebuked, he calls the crowd over, right? And if you're a strategic thinking disciple like I would be, you would think, no, this is the wrong time to call everybody in. Like this is an executive meeting, right? Like we can handle this here, Jesus. We don't, what what is going on? Like this is a PR mistake. Twitter is going to explode. You should not do this right now. And so he calls the, the, the crowd over and he gets everybody there and he says these words, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Mark doesn't share this in, in the, the continuation of this passage, but there were other instances where Jesus teaches hard things. Like in John chapter 6, verse 66, the response of, of people hearing the hard things of Jesus, which is it's interesting, that, that he hears the, they hear these hard teachings, people that have followed him and, and left their, their homes to follow him around, and they hear these hard teachings, and it says that they, that they left, that they stopped following from that point on, that it was just too much for them to take. It was too much for, for, for them to, to, to continue. Like, well, that got weird. I'll see you, Jesus. And I totally see this. I totally see um, this response, right? He even asked the 12, are you sure you don't want to leave too? 
are you sure this is this this is for you? Are you sure that this is what you you want to do to to continue? If we're honest, we we see that without a doubt. I've I've tried to put my place or myself in the place of the disciple uh, again and again, and and I've done that throughout uh, the, the the week. And I imagine that it might have gone just a little bit something like this. It's for me too. That, that Jesus, I can imagine all the good things. Right? Like, I do that in my life as well. I, I can imagine, as the disciples imagine, riding into Jerusalem and Jesus taking back what's theirs. Like, I can imagine the, the parades and the hoopla, the, the, the good stuff that comes from that, the glory and the, resign, the, 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 the recognizing of, of who he is and who his followers are. I can imagine the, the copious amounts of grape juice. I can imagine the place in which, the, which we'll live as we rule with you, Jesus. And I'm super excited about that. Like, that's going to be awesome. But I just can't imagine anything that you're talking about right now. As the disciples, I, I can imagine you healing people and you being powerful and you turning little into something great. And, and I can imagine all that, but I cannot imagine rejection and suffering and death. It's just so out there. And that the way of the cross is my future. Like, I'm not a criminal. Thank you very much. Like that's a, I thought that was for, for, for criminals, but now the way of the cross is my future, and I've got to pick up my cross and follow you down this road. I've been down many roads with you, Jesus, but this is not one of them. I just don't know. If I want to save my life, I'll lose it. I don't even know what that means. Lose my life for you and for the gospel and some of us, maybe here in this today, maybe we're in the same boat. I mean, I've wrestled with the upside-down way of Jesus for most of my life. I'm getting old, so most of it. There's sometimes where you just say, what in the world is going on? That the way of Jesus is, is different than the way of the world. And we just don't get that the first time we hear it or the 10th time we hear it or the, the 20th time we hear it or, or maybe we don't fully get it ever. And that's all right. There are many times that I don't get it. This is an important message that Jesus teaches it two more times in the book of Mark, chapter 9 and, and, and 10. And this is the message that Jesus teaches with his life. Jesus was helping them to understand that God's way is different than the way of the world. God's way is upside down from the, the way of the world, or rather we'd say right side up. Jesus wasn't telling them of his suffering and his rejection and his death and his life again so that they could be better emotionally prepared when it happened. Because I don't know about you, but when I read the Gospels, they weren't better emotionally prepared when it happened. In fact, they, I think they forgot altogether, it seems. They were a mess from all accounts. They forgot and they weren't sure that he was really going to rise again. That wasn't in their mind. But Jesus was helping them see something different. To shape their imagination that, 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 that power wasn't what it was all about. 
Jesus knew that they had to understand this or they would miss out on what he was doing. They'd miss out on, on this reason that he came to give his life for, for the salvation of all, that the way of Christ was to give his life for many. And sometimes I miss the same thing. We live in a, in a crazy time, in a crazy world, and, and we want to be successful, and we want to be more than we already are, and we want to be strong and powerful and inf- influential, and we want to be happy and safe, and don't forget we want to be comfortable, really comfortable. We like our comforts. But when I watch Jesus again and again and again, and, and when we, we read and we ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts, we see again and again and again that Jesus was not consumed with being comfortable. It wasn't a part of, uh, of his thinking. It's, it's abundantly clear that he has some other priorities. That he came to serve and to not be, be served. And, and without a doubt, we see that his ways are different. And yet here he is inviting these disciples to follow the different way. And it is scary and weird. It confronts the the common notion that to follow Jesus, all we need to do is to be nice and go to church for for a while and and, and just be good. We call that radio theology. It's not very deep. It just, it's good to talk about between songs. This is not what Jesus is calling us to. Not so that we just come to church on Sunday morning because we have nothing else to do. But this is a life. This is a way. The other night at board meeting, uh, and you've got an incredible group of people leading your church again this year. God blesses us every year. And we were talking about hard things. Like, not fun things to talk about when you come to your first uh, board meeting. Uh, probably not at all, right? But as we begin to, to talk, there was this new guy, a newbie, a new person on the board. He'd like to tell me, tell you, me, me to tell you that he's the youngest and, and best looking, probably. But Tom Gill spoke up and he said this, without a doubt, the best looking, right? He said this, and it was so good, I actually wrote it down. He said, we don't come to church to learn the ways of the world. We come to church to learn the ways of God, and sometimes that's hard. I'd say that that's true. That Jesus followers, we take up our cross. And this is a call for Christ followers to chase lions and to look for suffering. To be martyrs. And to put ourselves in, in bad situations. Let's go look for death and suffering for Jesus. Yay, are you with me? No. Because as many of us find out that there's plenty of suffering to go around without looking for it. But we carry our cross. Largely, I see a call of self-denial. To deny ourselves for the sake of something else something bigger. Jesus says, for whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. But according to to our human values, my life comes first. 
I can be kind and generous when I'm called upon. I can be nice to others, and, and, and I can do that. But the second that I'm in danger, or the second I'm inconvenienced, or the second that I'm uncomfortable, it's got to stop. You've gone too far, right? Yet here's Jesus advocating giving your life away for the sake of others. In other words, be willing to lose your life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, in order to save it. I've shared this with you a couple times. In fact, it's a reason why one of our core values is that we are people that give our lives away. But I was reading this book, and it was on an airplane, and I'm not very comfortable in airplanes uh, because the seats are small, right? And so I'm on this airplane, and I'm not comfortable, and I'm kind of grumpy, and things don't look good, and, and, and uh, there's just not enough space, and so I'm agitated, and it's just not a, a good place to be. And I'm reading this book, and, and it comes to this uh, part where it's talking about a, a church. And when they bring people into membership, they bring them in front of the church, and they face the, the congregation, and the pastor says these words. It says, will you come and die with us so that others might know Jesus? Will you give your life away? And their response is this. Yes, we'll come and die with you. We'll let God send us. We say this language all the time that maybe now it's become normal. And we talk about it in big ways, like you're going to do extravagant things for God. But we also talk about it in little ways. That you're giving your life away, literally. You could be at the easy chair watching, not football, because football's not on, but something else cool, right? Like you could be doing these things, but you came to church to serve, so there are little kids who might know Jesus. You could be uh, out uh, eating, eating breakfast at the Manhattan and stuffing your face with pancakes right now, or doing your grocery shopping that you haven't had time to do, but you gave your life away so that you could be a greeter this morning and greet people as they come into the church to be reminded that they are not alone. We give our lives away so that others might know Jesus, not just in this place, but in all places and spaces. Something that not just pastors are called to do, but all Jesus followers are called to do. But this does not come naturally. We need the Holy Spirit to stretch us and sustain us. We need the little yeses to get to the bigger yeses. We need these things. As our band comes this morning to help us to respond, we're reminded that giving our life away sounds really nice. Like it sounds noble, right? Like we put it on the, we did, we put it on the bulletin board. But this also means some, some hard things. That giving my life away it means that I don't always get what I want. That giving my life away so that others might know Jesus means that I don't get to do what I want with all of my time. That I've got to share my stuff, right? Like I share my my house, and I share my food, and I share my money, and I share my life, and I share my time. That I exchange my desires for God's desires and, and my little kingdom for God's bigger kingdom that I've got to be open and available for God to interrupt my regularly scheduled programs to step out in faith and maybe do some stuff that I don't want to do 
because I'm called to love others in his name. So during this season of Lent, may we center our heart not on what feels good or it's comfortable or familiar, but may we center our heart on Christ Jesus. It's in him I'll put my trust. Let's sing. Amen. Please stand for the benediction as we go from this place. Beloved of Christ, may you go from this place boldly, knowing that God is with you. May you go and say yes, carrying your cross and giving your life away for the sake of Jesus and for his kingdom. Go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed.